Welcome to the Green Majority here on CIUT 89. That was a bit of Stefan from last week. This is the Green Majority, and we are back in studio live again, aren't we, Stefan? We are indeed. This is our first time in three years. First time in three years live again in studio. It is the fundraising drive for CIUT 89.5 FM, the sound of our city. Yes, indeed. And we're Stefan Ostetter, David Ostetter. Lauren Latour will be joining us from Egypt. Yes, live from COP27. Live from Egypt later on. We'll be speaking with Tim Gray, the executive, uh, executive director of environmental defense yes. from a protest. Yes, a protest happening right now. Where? If you find yourself in Etobicoke, you can go and join this protest as we speak and hang out with Tim Gray while he is live on the show in about 15 minutes. An Etobicokean protest. Exactly. Where? What are they protesting? Uh, the <laughs> Bill 23, uh, the Doug Ford's latest assault on the Green Belt. Green Belt, he wants to get rid of the wetlands. Oh, yeah. More better housing built faster or something, right? Just wants to build those houses through those wetlands or something? Yeah. The argument here seems to be that the urban sprawl is the way to solve uh, our housing crisis. Mm -hmm. And that is both wrong and bad for many reasons, which we'll find out in a little bit. You got to love that deep, deep asphalt gray. Oh, yeah. People, no one, you know what people always, always say? They just love, love the sight of asphalt. It's just beautiful. It smells good, looks good. I actually do like the scent. Um, <laughs> You're speaking, and Erica Reyes? Yes, Erica Reyes will also be joining us uh, later on in the show, who has been a host of the Climate Optimism Dinners uh, mm. that she's been running here. Uh, also, the one of the co-founders of Inwit, which is a zero-waste company here in the city as well. Wow. Yeah. And uh, we... We have raised, so far, already before coming on air, we have raised for CIUT 89.5 FM $900. $901.03. Whoever gave that three mm. cents, shout out to them specifically. You know, that rounds up to a nickel. Yeah. That rounds right up to a nickel in this uh, penniless future that we've, we've driven for ourselves. Beautiful, exactly. Beautiful. You can, uh, but, and you can join those people uh, by either going directly right now to CIUT.FM slash donate. And I, I think you just go directly to cot.fm. You don't even have this little slash donate. We're, we've saved you a whole, a whole six letters. If you go to ciut.fm, you're going to see the green majority banner right up there. You just click. If you like what we have done, if you don't like what we have done, open that wallet. <laughs> yeah. Either way. Yeah. Uh, or if you want to call, we do have people in studio uh, right now. Yes. Call, call call via the phone, the telephone. That's uh, Is that the 1-888-204-8976? That's the toll-free number. Wow. Or if you're in Toronto and hearing us right now live, you also can call 416-946-7800. Both ways will connect you to one of our wonderful volunteers right. who will help you donate that way if that's your preference. Toll-free 1-888-204-8976. If you donate during this week, during the show, we, we'll give you a shout out like I'm about to give all the other people who've already donated and helped us out. Those individuals who've already donated to Green Majority at CIUT. Exactly. You can join this illustrious group by either calling or clicking on that banner at CIUT.FM. And, and these people are huge shout out to thanks uh, to Brian, uh, Timna, Andrew, Jasmine, Kara, Melanie, Madeline, Anne, Winifred, Adia. Sandy, David, Tina, Sam, Valerie, and Randall. Huge list of supporters already. Thank you so much for all of them. And well you can done. join that illustrious illustrious list 
Fine. You said it twice now. They might be get suspicious. That it's not illustrious? Well, I mean, if, if they say it more than once. It's yeah. a big word. It is a big word. And if you call, you will speak to Stefan's new wife. Wow. <laughs> Newlyweds. Stefan is a newly wed. It's true. And he is live as a newlywed. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. And you will speak to Tara. Yeah. Stefan's lovely, lovely new wife. Stefan, a husband. Wow. Now, for yeah, the we, first time. For the first and the last time. <laughs> Thank you. Yes. Uh, that is true. And so, which means that if you are listening to the show, you may have wondered uh, why we didn't cover some of the more breaking news of the past three weeks. And instead, it had full-on interviews. And the part of that answer was that I was away getting married. That well, was a thing that was I was doing. Yes, he got married on November fifth. Yeah, outdoors. Yes, good call. Um, and so, I mean, I don't know about breaking. What breaks these days? What's breaking news? I don't know. Are you going to do? Am I going to do news? Do you have something? What are you doing? Well, I'm going to mention a couple things, and then okay. I'm going to throw to you for the for the more deep dive. You, news. you tell me. Well, this isn't deep, but like, okay, you tell me what's actually broken, and I'll tell you what's. What's, what well, else is just happening? Cracking. All right, great. Well, I mean, the things that we missed, or things that we just didn't get, to, I think, the chance to cover that I just want to make sure we at least reference on the show was yeah. because early October, people remember us spending a whole bunch of time talking about how important the election in Brazil was. And I don't want to make it seem like we just lost track of that. Um, mm. And so the good news, if you haven't heard on that front, is that uh, Lula did win. Uh, in the, the the election ended up being yes. a kind of terrifyingly close in the end, and a series of uh, attempts to block voting were uh, did occur from from the Bolsonaro side. However, uh, it did go through. Lula did win, which is huge. Again, some of the biggest news in climate change this year uh, because of the importance of the Amazon rainforest and everything that it holds dear. Uh, and then shortly, then a couple of weeks after that, uh, the the American elections occurred, which we didn't cover at all because, again, it happened in the coming up in, in, during that time. Those midterms. Yeah. And that was also relatively good news. The, the Democrats managed to hold the Senate. Uh, they still lost the House, but was uh, did better than anticipated. And meaning that we will not see the people are at least a little less scared uh, for the for the strength of the American democracy uh, than they were prior to those elections. Obviously, there's not a not not a perfect sweep or by any by any means, but it does likely mean that we'll get the the policies that were in place in the last couple of years will maintain and and some hopeful good signs there as well. So those are two great news from elections. And then the last last thing before we uh, before we get on to your news is just that the flip side of that, of, of these elections being good and mattering, is that the last little bit has really shown the importance of elections here in our own uh, wonderful province. Namely, the fact that we've already seen in the last three weeks, you know, Doug Ford has come out and attacked education workers, uh, leading to almost leading to a general strike, only to then be sort of batted backwards, although we'll see next week whether or not a strike comes back. Then, you know, as, and we'll talk to Tim Gray in about eight minutes now about the Green Belt mm. and and what exactly is going on there and the, the assaults there. And then finally, I don't know if folks saw this a couple of days ago, the quote-unquote strong mayor uh, legislation that Doug Ford is pushing through is worse than people anticipated. So much worse that it, it will allow uh, the mayor to pass bylaws with only one-third of council support. I mean that basically what? the mayor will be able to make bylaws with only a third of 
uh, our crazy. elected councillors, which makes sense. No, it is pretty much uh, flies in the face of anything one would call democracy, even in our uh, somewhat undemocratic system already. And so, yeah, so elections can matter, people. So uh, Mr. John Tory just gets to be like, this can, is the way it is. Yeah, and he he has said that he had actually asked for this. He, it, it, he has come out and said that this was something that he'd actually asked for. Wow. And so it's not even just that it's something that's sort of being pushed upon the city. This is something that Tories decided that he wanted and, of course, didn't campaign on in municipal elections, that he wanted to basically, you know, become a, become a bit of a, a, a bit of a king, but, yes. uh, but is the case. And so that's the election update news that... Well, that's what happens we when you elect CEOs. Yeah. They expect to have a lot of power. Yeah. And so, yeah, so those are the three big things I want to make. We'll probably come back to all of them. We definitely will come back uh, to to the green belt in, in just a short second. But I just wanted to make sure we mention all of those news because they are pretty big for the climate and we just didn't cover them the last couple of weeks. All right. So now we're going to look at some other news. Yes. Also old, old news. Old Not news. all of it, most of it. All right. Um, I'm going to pause after each one. Maybe Stefan has anything to say. I don't know. We'll see what happens. Global CO2 emissions, Stefan. Yes are rising this year much more slowly than expected. The International Energy Agency reported last month that emissions would be rising three times as quickly this year, if not for renewable energy technologies and electric vehicles. I mean, that's good news. So it rebounded a bunch in 2021. Yeah. Now it's still rising. Yeah, still rising, which is but not slowly. Great. Yeah. I mean, we've got to, we really have to hit a peak here sometime <laughs> soon. Uh, and of course, the renewable technology boon has been a huge uh, hope for us all. Mm. But I think we'll hear from Lauren later that the COP negotiations are not going fantastically. So we're going to need we need some more more political will coming at this soon. Right. Um, yeah, people are flying again. Whatever. <laughs> people are people are back living. They're back on their uh, their times here. Yeah. Um, the biggest reinsurance company, I think you might have mentioned this, the biggest reinsurance company in the world, Munich Re, announced last month that it will stop insuring and investing in new fossil fuel projects by April of next year. Man, I, I hope they do. Um, Sydney has had its wettest year since 1858. And that was actually, they were reporting that actually before they got m- more flood, more rain, I think. Mm. Oh, wow. Um... Waterkeeper Alliance conducted a recent study of 114 waterways across 34 U.S. states and found that 83% of them contained forever chemicals or toxic PFAs, in many cases exceeding state limits. Although I read that article and then I saw another article that was like, PFAs are found in almost all uterine blood around the world. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, I, I mean, this is these. I think we talked about this like a couple of weeks or, or months ago on the show, but the ways where climate change has really dominated our our discourse on how we're destroying the earth should not overshadow some of the other ways you know like we might solve climate change but if we are literally made of plastic or we have killed all the insects in the world two things that we should also be very terrified about we are not winning wait what well the pfas um Wait, is that plastic or is that just chemical? I think it's chemical. Sure. I mean, these are all man-made anyway. chemicals. Yeah. We're all so filled with plastic if people don't know. Plastic is like a frozen chemical or something. I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> chemical. Yeah, no. Remember, remember that little 
few months ago, there was a scientific paper that was like, we've exceeded the safe threshold of putting chemicals into the Earth system. Yeah. Simply because we do not know how much we're putting in. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, before you go on to news, though, uh, I, th I think that we should actually go back and tell people how to do they can donate and then go to a music break because we want to get to Tim Gray, grow, Tim Gray the executive director, exactly at 1120. He's, been, of, he's been scheduled in. Yeah, exactly. All right, so we're going to stop the news here and we're going to remind everyone that it is the CIUT 89.5 FM fundraising week. And... CIUT is the sound of your city. 35, 35 years yeah. of CIUT. And uh, you can go to CIUT.FM, right? Yes. You'll see a green majority if you feel like donating, and you should feel that way. Yes. Um, and do that. Or what are the num what are the phone numbers they can call and speak with Stefan's new bride? Wow. Uh, you can call in at 416-946-7800 or toll-free at one 204 8976. And yes, you can use this music break so you don't have to worry about not hearing the show to call one of those numbers or to donate online and join that illustrious list and help us support Canada's only independent radio station on the FM dial. Truly a important and necessary set of work that we're doing oh, here, yeah. or that, the sh that the station is doing here. If you like any other shows, you can drop them in the comments too and you about do. who like you them. Do. And help support this great station. It's you can join this list at seventeen. I'd love to get to twenty donations by the end of this hour. So if you can call or or donate online, please, please do. Ciut.fm. And yeah, let's go to this music break, and then we'll come back with Tim Gray, the executive director of Environmental Defense. Okay, so. Oh, yeah. Superman! Oh, it's not even. A body whose cloaks in light makes itself naked in you. In thoughts of self, dissolve like night in Lucifer. In Lucifer. In Lucifer. In Lucifer. God. 
And we are back with the Green Majority on CIUT 89.5 FM. That song was called Falling by the band Yound. And Tim Gray is not available at this split second. But uh, we will be calling him soon. And we are returning to environmental news. Um, and we're going to speak to some lovely individuals. And we are currently... Returning to our fundraising show at CIUT 89.5 FM. It is 35 years since the inception of this station, and it is community-focused, community-driven, community-authored and created radio. Local content, important content, and you could call if you desire to speak with us with uh, Tara Marina Pearson, wonderful volunteer today, 416 Four six seven eight zero zero, or toll free one eight 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 two zero four eight nine seven six, and this is to help us continuing with our goal of one hundred thousand dollars this season. It's true. We and currently we are at or sitting right now the at five fifty three thousand dollars three hundred and fifty four and sixty four cents. That's how much we've donated so far on this fundraising drive. And so you can help us get to, you know, 54000 seems like a great goal for this next 20, 35 minutes or we so. We can handle that. Yeah. So <clears throat> join the 582 people who have joined uh, calling right now. Right. Yes. And uh, we have Tim Gray on the telephone now. Amazing. Ken is just, uh, station manager Ken Stower is just patching him through. And so, Tim Gray, the executive director of environmental defense. Yes. Um, is this is the this is the? Are you live now, this? Tim? Hello. Hello. Tim. How are you? Very well. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah. Sorry, I've been uh, just uh, running around at the rally in front of Premier Ford's office. So. Well, <laughs> yes, I know. I, I, you know, it's not uh, not every day that we get to call directly into an ongoing protest. So, thank you so much for making the time. Yeah, you're you're welcome. You're welcome. It's been really uh, really kind of noisy, so I've just stepped away for a second just so I could chat. <laughs> Amazing. So thank you so much for being here. You are broadcasting now live uh, on CIUTA 9.5 across Toronto. And so folks who want to know more about your you are protesting, of course, uh, Bill 23, the attack on the green belt. Can you tell us a little bit in your own words what the major problems of Bill 23 are? Yeah, so there's a whole package of uh, materials here uh, in the bill itself and then uh, associated proposals. So the province is proposing to take 7,400 acres of land and multiple parcels out of the greenbelt, so forests, wetlands, farmland. Um, they're also proposing uh, significant changes to how planning uh, occurs across the region forcing cities to sprawl, uh, canceling the, the official plans in Halton and Hamilton, which had firm urban boundaries and wanted to build affordable homes inside of the city, um, forcing lower densities. So really, the entire package together uh, aims at both uh, attacking nature on the green belt and more broadly, and forcing uh, a development model that is single-family homes built far from the cities on farmland. Uh, the only people, of course, that will benefit from this uh, are billionaire sprawl developers, and the rest of us will pay higher property taxes 
have a lower quality of life and be stuck in gridlock. So it's it's a it's a complete disaster. The entire entire bill and the entire package. Yeah, and it really is joined by some of the other pushes that this government has done in terms of you know Highway 413 and even the Bradford Bypass. All of this seems to be a pattern towards sort of an embracing of sprawl as the answer to our housing crisis. Absolutely. Um, you know, everywhere else in North America and Ontario up until uh, this government realized that the development pattern that we established after the Second World War of building multi-lane highways uh, all over the place and uh, low-density housing that can't be serviced by transit where it's not walkable, where it's not bikeable, that that was uh, a mistake and that we really needed to move more to the, the kind of urban model that existed in cities uh, before cars uh, dominated our landscape. Um, and we know from from polling and actually from housing prices that people prefer to live in places where they can move about their daily life to work, school, shopping, uh, in a way that isn't uh, dependent on a car. Um, that's why neighborhoods where you can do all of those things, uh, the, the homes and houses in those places are more expensive because the demand is there to live there. So uh, we also know that it's cheaper um, to put more people in an area that has services than uh, it is to spread them out over a very large area. And of course, uh, sprawl destroys nature, destroys farmlands, destroys wetlands. And, um, you know, the government's package actually proposes to remove uh, most of the barriers to the destruction of those natural values uh, so that uh, sprawl developers can make even more money and destroy more of, uh, of our landscape. Yeah, it, I, that was a part of it that really struck me was the sort of disempowering of these conservation groups that were sort of previously in charge of making sure that we don't sort of spill over into any more destructive na habits. And yet one of the parts of this bill, my, to my understanding, is sort of removing their ability to kind of say no. Absolutely. Conservation authorities were established in Ontario about 60 years ago in response to uh, massive deforestation that caused uh, erosion, and then um, their powers were enhanced after Hurricane Hazel um, killed uh, 80 people within Toronto when all the valleys flooded after a major storm. And uh, conservation authorities are, are renowned uh, throughout North America as being an incredibly important planning tool because they plan on a watershed basis. So uh, their role is to look at development proposals uh, see whether or not they're going to cause flooding, uh, destroy the natural values in the area, and they're there to protect us all from from these events. And, of course, they're getting worse because of climate change. The idea of reducing conservation authorities' ability to advise municipalities on what development is appropriate is a huge, huge step backwards. Yeah. And so finally, before we get to what's going on today, I, I would love for you to speak a little bit about how this embrace of sprawl really locks us into more emissions. You know, the, the fact that we exist in this world where Ontario, a huge percentage of Ontario's emissions are from transportation. And, I, you know, there was a, a, a person a couple of years ago who called Toronto's basically highway system sort of our oil sands, given, given how ex how much emissions we're being locked into due to the fact that we are creating these pipelines of cars, basically. And so this decision really does also really hamper our ability in the future to be able to, you know, reduce our emissions. 
It does, um, uh, for the reasons you described. I mean, having people moving around the landscape in uh, vehicles where often they're the only driver, and uh, in you know building communities where the only way to get any services, even a jug of milk, you have to get in your car, um, creates this dependency on on energy-intensive transportation system. But as well, uh, the housing types that are built in uh, when you're building these single-family home subdivisions within forests or on wetlands um, are very, very energy intensive. So they use a lot more energy than the equivalent buildings would be if they were built closer together or if they're multiple units. And of course, uh, as part of this bill, the provincial government is proposing to remove all of the uh, green building standards that exist in municipalities that require the construction of homes and apartment buildings and condominiums that are more energy efficient and cheaper to run. They're, they're removing uh, the ability for municipalities to have those standards. So the houses that will be built will be of lower quality, lower energy efficiency, and more costly for the people that end up buying them and living in them to run. So um, it's an attack both um, you know, on, on the land uh, and on affordability because of increased costs, costs to maintain infrastructure and roads, etc., but it's also a direct subsidy of the developers who can build these homes cheaply, sell them to people who then pay uh, for the rest of their lives for high-cost energy because their homes are inefficient. Right, for sure. And so can you t- give us a, a brief sense of what's happening right now? You are, you know, you're calling in from a rally that's currently occurring in Etobicoke. What's happening? And it, uh, my understanding is not just happening in Etobicoke. It's happening across Ontario. Absolutely. Um, there is, uh, as of this morning when I when I left home, uh, we had over 30 uh, rallies at MPP offices scheduled for around the province, many of them today, a lot over the weekend and into next week. So this really does show uh, Ontario residents rising up to protect uh, the areas they value around their communities, to protect their ability of their municipal government to make decisions about their own future for their ability to be able to buy a home that is affordable and energy efficient uh, in a time of a climate crisis. So uh, you're seeing just a massive outpouring of support. Many, many thousands of people over many years have worked to you know, create uh, the, the landscape and the protection that we have in southern Ontario. And uh, this government wants to undo it all, and, and people are rightfully fighting back. Yeah, I, I noticed. I noted that both the Star and the Narwhal, who both are reporting on this, cl- said that the articles about this issue were the most read this year for both topics. And so clearly, I, people are engaged. I can uh, totally believe that. I, I've just seen social media going wild uh, with both stories and people telling personal stories. You know, I uh, I put a. Um, something on Twitter the other day just saying that I'm you know, I'm committing myself to put a picture of something beautiful on the green belt that we're going to lose, and I'm going to put one up every day until the Premier goes back to his promise to keep his hands off the green belt. And that image and that tweet has been liked and shared more often than I think anything else I've ever put <laughs> on Twitter in the entire time I've been there. So you can really see the, uh, the response from the public about the values that are threatened by this uh, planned decision. Yeah, for sure. And so people who want to get involved beyond, you know, joining the slowly dying Twitter to uh, retweet your tweet, how else can they support your work? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Even when Twitter dies, there's still ways you can get together. Exactly. So, 
So yes, yeah, so probably the key thing to do is, is visit uh, the website that we're set up where all of the information about what's going on around the province uh, is posted and will be posted, and that's handsoffthegreenbelt.ca. Um, you can see a map there of all the upcoming events. Um, as uh, new things uh, start to come together over the coming days and weeks, you'll be able to find all of that information there. Amazing. So, well, I don't want to take you too long because you are, again, at a live rally. Uh, so if there, do you have a last sort of call to action before, before we let you get back to it? Yeah, I would just say to people that if you care at all about where your food comes from, if you care about affordable homes for people in your community, if you value the green belt, you will get up off your couch and, and go join everyone else uh, in rallies around the province and make your MPP know how outraged you are. Amazing. Well, thank you so much, uh, Tim Gray, the Executive Director of Environmental Defense. Really appreciate you making the time and have a wonderful day. You too. Thanks so much. Cheers. Wonderful. And... And yeah, so if you want to be able to understand exactly the value of being able to do a live show and also the value... No worries. Uh, I've never done this before, Stefan. Uh, I've never touched any of these things before. <laughs> All right. I mean, it's you've, we've been away for three years, as we were saying. But if you want to understand the value of community radio and also the station, I think that call is exactly it. How often in other news media are you going to be able to get a chance to l- directly live hear from someone at a rally and not just for like 30 seconds? Right. Because that's really the thing. You know, you'll see people at rallies and protests getting interviewed and it's they're asked to pull their sound bites into like 12 seconds and say something. Mm. But we got a chance to really talk to someone incredibly knowledgeable about this issue for 15 minutes during a live rally. That is the power of CIUT FM 89.5 Community Radio. And when we talk about community, we mean high quality content. Exactly. And you can donate again by going to ciut.fm. And again, as Dave mentioned, our banner is right there. You can click donate. You can donate to the station itself generally if you prefer, but you also can help us and make us feel good. And if you donate to us, I can give you a shout out in the next 23 minutes. You have 23 minutes left for me to give you a shout out. So if you do that or call 416-946-7800, you can talk and donate to us as well. We are going to go to a music break in just a second, and then we're going to come back with two interviews to close out the show. A quick check-in with Lorne Latour, uh, again, calling in live from COP, and then we'll be joined by Erica Reyes to round out the show. And so if you want to support us again, during this music break is the perfect time to do it, CIUT.FM or 416-946-7800. Yeah. 
sin has seized you, the vision and the life. The verb of everything on the edge of madness. An odd teetering on the edge of madness. The pride rib cage bent in, looking in, seeing holiness in the birth of science. Innumerable tragedies gone, bodies piling in catacombs, becoming bones now ignited with prescient light. Here is the lively light, the achievement, the colored streams, sounding clamor, sparkling sounds, the sound from strands of light. Always in splendor, you in splendor, for you live always enshrined in shears of flickering colors. back with the green majority on CIUT 89.5 FM. This is the CIUT fundraising show and we are fundraising. We are indeed. We are fundraising for the green majority and also for CIUT all generally. We are joined in just a second as soon as we can patch her in by Lauren Latour who is joining us live from COP. We have her, but we need the meeting ID for me to plug into this phone and hook up that Zoom call. Yes, exactly. And so that is being given to you right now, and then we are good to go. Okay. Uh, so, yes, we'll be joined by just a second by, by, uh, by Lauren. Uh, we'll be patching her in in just two seconds as Dave does this call. But we also, uh, while we do that, we'll be, right after Lauren, we'll be joined by Erica Reyes. Hi, Erica. Hi, Stefan. Wonderful to have you here. Uh, and we'll be talking to you about uh, the, op- the Climate Optimists Dinners, which, you know, we started the show with a bit of good news in terms of climate change things, and we are going to uh, end this sh- news and end the show with some good climate change news. <laughs> but uh, while we are waiting uh, for that to happen, I will remind people that they can donate to The Sound of Your City at ciut.fm and our banner will be right there when you do so and then you or if you want to call and as i believe some people have called which is new because for folks that might know the last couple years uh have been a very quiet time in this studio thanks to the uh depressing existence of covid yes indeed and it is nice to be free and back do we have lauren 
Uh, no, we won't have Lauren yet. Um, oh. We don't have Lauren. No. Um, all right. Well, I plugged in the number. Okay. I plugged in your little Zoom number to a telephone here. Yeah. I pushed the thing. I think I put, I don't know if I pushed the right thing. Ken left the studio. Okay. I'm so confused. tell you what. Um, what we're going to do here uh, is give me two more seconds. We will begin by talking uh, to you, Erica, and then while I'm getting you to talk a little bit about your, uh, about your project, I will walk over there and solve this problem, hopefully. Um, so just first off the top, by way of introduction, can you tell us about yourself and your background and how you got involved in climate work? Mm -hmm. Hi, Stefan. Hi, everyone. Uh, so a little bit about uh, myself. I'm Erica Reyes. Um, I became an environmentalist by accident uh, eight years ago. And I think that the way I got involved with uh, my environmental work was by being very frustrated, very angry every time I was going to the supermarket and I was seeing all these walls, all these, all, all, all single-use plastics around. And I was feeling like my actions uh, of avoiding single-use waste in my personal life didn't make any, any difference. I felt so little. So, um, I, I took all this anger, all this uh, sadness, and I started to research and pilot solutions to eliminate single-use plastics in the takeout industry. Uh, so I think that that's the way I started to be involved with my environmental work. Uh, I, I have been piloting solutions to single-use plastics in the takeout industry for the last three years, and today, um, I'm uh, the co-founder and CEO of or a very, very cool startup that is helping uh, consumers and um, corporate, uh, corporate um, I, I would call them like companies that wants to enjoy a takeout meal without creating unnecessary waste. So all our, our meals come in reusable containers and we handle everything from delivery, pick up uh, empties after after people are done with uh, with their gatherings, and um, and these containers are reused again and again and again. <laughs> Amazing! And I think yeah, I think we last time you were on the show we talked about that project. Yes. Um, and so this time I would love to hear a, a little bit more about your work. Uh, in, in these climate optimism dinners that you've just started, I think, a couple months ago. Yes, that's correct. And so we, as I, as I, I was telling you, I, I was feeling very um, isolated as a consumer. And all, this, all these years of, uh, I, I call it activism, like uh, it's, our startup is a startup activist. And it feels very, very hard to hear all this news about climate change and, and as much as we are trying to do our best and we are pushing to, for change in our communities, uh, we, I was feeling like very sad and isolated and I was feeling like does our work make any difference actually in the world? Like are we, are we going to make it? 
are we going to really solve the climate crisis or or not and so i i was feeling like i wanted to quit and and i'm an extroverted person so i i always need people uh and and we started to think about ways to involve more the community to create this the more the sense of community uh so we created a zero waste um dinner called climate optimist where we come together uh we share a zero waste meal we have guest speakers and guest facilitators to to bring eco anxiety into eco resiliency through community through um a beautiful uh and mindful content just like uh what you are doing at the green majority and uh and connecting more people um to feel like we are not alone amazing um i mean that that's such a beautiful mission to connect people while, while not not so alone um i will say that we're going to get lauren back on the show in a couple seconds using a fun hack that i'm going to try uh but before we do i do want to spend a little more time with you of course and so can you talk a little bit about why you find it so important to be optimistic about climate change i think it we don't lose anything at this moment we are like if if we don't manage to to make change happen in the next 10 years um we all know where we are going and i think at this moment we have nothing to lose uh and we can go all in to to embrace change to embrace um to walk the talk to 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 make sure that if our ba- our actions are aligned to our values everything will be fine but we have to make sure that um we trust the process uh and we have patience and co- a community to awesome to bring us there yeah. <laughs> i love that i love it's both simultaneously a call uh for optimism and yet at the same time recognizing that it's not that we're not doing great right now you know it's not it's not a <laughs> optimism that ignores the reality exactly. which i think is so key we don't sugarcoat uh, the reality uh we don't deny the reality that <clears throat> we have a an environmental crisis and we are seeing like the water is talking the trees are talking all all over um environmental resources all all na- nature is talking to us and we cannot ignore them we don't ignore them but uh we can we can start embracing new different uh, realities new different ways of what success looks like actually for me maybe i don't want to be a millionaire Uh <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah maybe yes <laughs> maybe maybe we can have other goals maybe we can try to do other yes. things on resent and so uh last uh, last question how can folks who are in the Toronto area uh get to know more about these climate optimism dinners and maybe join one in the future and then or and then generally if people are not in the Toronto area how can they support your work amazing <clears throat> i'm sorry no worries so our next uh, zero waste climate optimist dinner is on december 2nd um it happens at the center for social innovation so if you google 
uh, Toronto's climate optimist Zero Waste Dinner, you will see our event pride there. Amazing. Come join us. We do it every month. So if you cannot make it uh, this time, uh, join us next time. But I will say we sold out very quickly. So Congratulations. That's thank great Thank you very news. much. Yes. <laughs> Um, go there, uh, talk to your friends about it, keep being positive, keep, uh, um, don't focus on perfection, focus on progression, and uh, keep keep uh, the spirit going because we can make it. Amazing. Well, thank you so much, uh, Erica Reyes, uh, co-founder of Inwit, as well as the founder of these Climate optimi Optimism Dinners. Thank you so much for being here. And yeah, support her work. Come to these dinners. Building community is obviously something that we here at uh, Green Majority uh, support, but also this is a community radio station. This is all about community, and this is what we do. And so with that, I do want to bring on to the show uh, Lauren Latour calling in from COP. Lauren, can you hear us now? I can. Can you hear me? We, Steph? Yes, we can. We can indeed. Amazing. Uh, okay, great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I'm, yes, I'm calling in. Wow. I'm not technically calling in from COP27. I'm calling I'm calling in from a site outside of the venue, but today was the last official day of COP, but that doesn't mean that the work has ended. A lot of folks are still inside what, what's referred to as the blue zone, and they're gonna be there until late into the evening, working on, on sort of backroom negotiations, what are called informal informals, to try to make sure the text that comes out of this last two weeks is as ambitious as possible. Um, so there's still a lot of people really, really hard at work. Right, yeah. It's, it's, and so maybe, again, we haven't been able to sort of jump into this conversation about COP last couple of weeks for previously stated reasons. And so maybe you can give us a background as to how we got to where we are right now and what your experience the last few weeks have been. Yeah, so I mean, COP is always a bizarre experience for various reasons. Everyone is unique. Um, everyone is uniquely brutal. Um, in its own way and this has been a weird one um, and we knew it was going to be bizarre going in because like let's let's be real I can say this because because we broadcast out of Toronto um, Egypt is a pretty repressive place for a certain class of person a certain type of person um, civil disobedience is not welcomed um, demonstrations are not welcome civil unrest is not welcome so we knew right away as civil society organizations coming into this space that we were going to have to carry ourselves and behave in different ways than we're used to i mean if folks remember from cop 26 in glasgow in the last few years um, outside demonstrations have played an increasingly large role in kind of setting the tone for cop and steering the direction that things go in and, and sort of the themes that are explored and that and that wasn't an option so from the get-go it was, this was a cop that, that more so than usual, and, and maybe ultimately for the better, um, it, it was about human rights, because there's there's a whole lot of folks who live in Egypt, who demonstrate in Egypt, who, who, who work to make Egypt a more hospitable and welcoming place for folks that, that, that the long and short of it is that, that there's a lot of folks that have been imprisoned in the last 10 years in this country. Um, so that was something that a lot of us were sort of thinking and putting front and center the last few weeks. So, so human rights have been at the forefront. And then the other thing that's been at the forefront is the fact that, um, that we know that we are kind of so close to that brink of 1.5. Um, and for folks who might not be familiar, the idea is that 1.5 degrees Celsius warming is kind of like the 
when we say safe, we don't really mean safe, but like the safest upper limit of what we can experience on a planetary scale before we get into really, really scary scenarios around around climate change and around global warming and before we start losing millions and millions of people to, to the effects of climate change. So we knew going in that like those were kind of the stakes and that and that we had to work as hard as we possibly could to try to make sure that that fossil phase out was being discussed um, because it might surprise folks listening back home that although there have been 27 this is now the 27th COP. Um, the fossil fuels and oil and gas was only referenced in the physical formal text last year. So it's something that although we've been talking about climate change for, for going on nearly three decades, um, the international sort of like diplomatic community has been really reticent to acknowledge the, the role that fossil fuel and oil and gas companies play in climate change. It was only last year that it was acknowledged in the text, and this year one of the big pushes from civil society has been to get keep it in the ground or, or fossil phase out put in put in the language. Um, so that's one of those things that that organizers and activists and folks from civil society are really pushing on in this sort of eleventh hour to see if we can get worked into the text in some capacity. And of course, you're seeing the U.S., you're seeing Russia, you're seeing Canada um, in various capacities pushing back on that because of the vested interest they have in the continuation of the fossil fuel industry. Yeah, and I think that last bit I think would probably surprise maybe not the more tuned in person, but definitely I think the more general listener. You know, Canada, as we've talked about on the show a lot, is really good at pretending that we care. We're, we're really, really yeah. good at pretending. And so I wonder if you could dive a little bit about how Canada's role in this election or in this in, in COP, especially given, you know, you know it's, I believe this is the second one that Gibo has gone to. I think he went to the last one, at least as a politician. I'm sure he went to previous ones and had far different yeah. opinions, you know, about <laughs> about how fossil fuels should exist when he came as an activist rather than a politician. But the my understanding, my read from civil society has not been impressed with Canada's contributions so far. Well, and that is the weird thing about Stephen, isn't it? Because he um, he was in the he was in with Greenpeace for a long time. He was in with an organization called Equitel for a long time, and he was he was a very prominent presence at COP um, as as a civil society um, activist and advocate. He, he there's there's this doc there's this newsletter that gets printed every morning at COP called Eco that's put out by civil society, and for many years. Stephen Gibo um, edited that document, so he he played a really like pivotal, pri- prominent role in in the ways in which civil society pushed the negotiators within this space. So he's very well known. He's very well acquainted with the processes, and and honestly, it's 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 hard to say how can how Canada has been received here, um, aside from like with a bit of chagrin and a bit of frustration, because honestly, it, up until maybe forty eight hours ago. There was a surprising and depressing lack of movement on the text. There's something that comes out every year in COP called the cover decision. That's kind of like the big statement that gets put out to the world um, about COP and kind of lets everybody know what has been achieved um, and, and what kind of the goals are for every year. And um, the cover text, we only started seeing draft text, um, I think I think something like 48 hours ago. So it's honestly been hard to criticize a country like Canada because there's been so little movement. People have... Uh, we appeared, uh, we, I, think, I think Lauren's uh, internet may have cut out. <laughs> uh, oh, I'm so sorry. No, you're I'm back. I'm so sorry. Can you hear me? Yes, you're back. Yes. You're, I'm back. Okay. Yeah, I was just saying that, that things have been really slow going. So, I mean, we can we can say that, that Canada's a blocker on things like getting fossil fuel phase out in the text, but 
there's it's 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 been really hard to get a handle on the direction that the conversations are going in because the Egyptian presidency has been so good at slowing things down and making it so that like there, there's there's just no text coming out. Negotiations are getting pushed to next year kind of thing. Um, it's been an oddly lackluster year here at here at COP. All right. Uh, well, th- thank you so much, Lauren, for making the time to be able to call in while uh, while away. We really appreciate that. And we'll hopefully we'll get a bigger dive with you when you're back uh, in, in Canada in a couple of weeks uh, on the show. But thank you so much. We are coming to the end of our episode. Uh, here and I would say that before we do though I want to give a shout out to Howard and Jeffrey who both donated during the show uh, and pushed us over the top to over a thousand dollars that we have raised during this fundraising drive so thank you so much Howard and Jeffrey really appreciate it and yeah have a wonderful wonderful time everyone thank you all so much for listening please if you can you can still support CIUT at CIUT.FM the rest of this donation drive and afterwards. Keep donating. Thank you all so much and have a wonderful, wonderful time.